I don't know what time we're supposed to end. So that's good. That's good. Little boy goes into church, first time he gets to sit in the big people's service. He's looking around and he says, Mom, what's that big window with all the colors up there? And she says, that's a stained glass window that helps us to focus our attention on God. Then he looks around a little more and he says, what are all those people sitting up there with robes on for? And they, she said, well, that's the choir. They're going to lead us in songs and we'll hear them sing. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, what's that table up in front with all that stuff on it? Well, that's the communion table, and that's to help us remember what Christ did for us on the cross. Well, what's that man standing up there for? What's he going to do? Well, he's going to open the Bible, and he's going to share with us God's Word. Well, Mom, why did he just take off his watch? Well, that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> Should have saved that for tomorrow morning. Just a little bit about myself. My name is Tom Ladd. I'm the senior pastor at Walnut Ridge Baptist Church. Uh, Chris and I have been there for about three and a half years, and we're privileged to be here this week. I was excited when Tim called me, I think it was in January, February. It may have been Phil. I'm not sure. Phil called? Doesn't matter. Somebody called, and I am here. And uh, I was excited to come. My wife, Chris, grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, actually. Her dad was the pastor at Walnut Ridge Baptist Church early on. And so you may put that connection together. So we are really blessed to be back in Iowa again. We served in Iowa for about five years, back in 99 to 2004. I've been in two churches in Cleveland, two churches, or two churches in Ohio, two churches in Michigan. And so it's great to be back in Iowa. I love Iowa. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, so we didn't see many cows or pigs or corn. But uh, I appreciate Iowa and all that it means. Just a little bit about our family. I have some slides here. Phil can show slides. I can show slides also. This is Chris and I. We celebrated our 40th anniversary in Ludington, Michigan. Uh, Chris and I have been married for 42 years, actually, on next Monday. It'll be 42 years. So last year we were able to have our whole family together up in Ludington, Michigan and uh, renewed our vows on the beach and that was just a great time. These are our grandkids, um, starting with Nehemiah on the right, he's eight years old, Gideon six, Ava's four, Naomi is three, and Israel is two and a half. And so we are blessed to have them. We just had our grandkids last weekend. Anybody have grandkids? It was a whole lot easier raising kids. We were worn out. We had them two days, and we were just exhausted. <laughs> we decided we were going to have an adventure on Friday when we had them. And uh, so we took them out to breakfast, and we took them out to where the Amish live, because they, they're from Kansas City, so they really don't see many Amish in downtown Kansas City. So we took them out there. We took them to the library, to the park. And as we're driving home, Israel, who is about two and a half, he yells from the back seat, we're Gigi and Deepa. He says, Gigi and Deepa, why is nobody talking? I said, because we're playing the quiet game. I don't know about you guys, but I took uh, Ava out and mowed the lawn, and for an hour and a half, she talked. <laughs> she was riding on the mower with me, and she just talked for an hour and a half, but we were exhausted. So those are our grandkids. Next slide here is our whole family. Our oldest daughter, Mandy, is there on the left with her husband, Nelson. Nelson played professional soccer for 10 years. 
Uh, he captained the U-17, U-20 national teams. So he's played all over the world. He's got an amazing testimony for Jesus Christ. And uh, every team he played on, he led guys to Christ. And so it's exciting to hear his walk. He is now an engineer with Boeing in Charleston, South Carolina. Our other daughter, Allie, is on the right with her husband, Gabe. He is a pastor in uh, urban Kansas City with uh, Christ Community Church. And uh, she is expecting our sixth grandchild here in October. And then our two sons, Josh and Jeff, Je uh, the, who tower over me now. Uh, Josh is on the right. He just got married in April to Whitney. And uh, so she wasn't there last summer, so she couldn't come. And then Jeff is our youngest son. And uh, so that's our family. So you get to know us just a little bit better. Like I said, Chris grew up in uh, Iowa here. Her dad was a pastor. And uh, we just, um, camp means so much. Chris grew up here at going to Clear Lake. I've heard a lot about Forbidden Mountain for, or Forbidden Hill from Chris. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See, see. You can't go there. See, well, that's what she keeps telling me. They kept telling her, don't go to Forbidden Mountain Hill. Forbidden Hill. But it's amazing the transformation that camp makes and family camp makes. Chris made decisions for Christ at camp. I grew up in Ohio, so I got to work. I worked at Camp Patmos, which is out on Kelly's Island. And I remember when I worked there, I was making $10 a week. And driving from Cleveland to Sandusky, I think my dad spent more in gas than I was making in a week being at camp. But those weeks were transforming weeks. And so as we come together and as we spend a week together, um, we want, I want, my prayer has been, and I've been excited about what God has been teaching me through the Word, is that God would challenge our hearts. Now, I would say that the majority of us know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior here at camp this week, but I'm not going to take that for granted either. I pray that as we spend this week together and as we spend time in the Word, that God would really challenge our hearts, that God would really speak to us. We're going to go through the book of James, and I was just talking with Nick this morning. He goes, man, I took a class on the book of James. What do you mean you're going to do this in five days? What? Okay, nobody believes I'm going to do it in five days. <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to take an overview. I'm not going to give you more information. I'm sure that you have spent a lot of time studying the Word. I'm sure that you've spent time looking at the book of James. So what I want to do as we think about redeeming the time is spend some time getting an overview and a good fix on what the book of James is all about. And you're probably thinking, why in the world did you choose the book of James for this theme of redeeming the time? As soon as I heard the theme, my thoughts turned to the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, because the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Okay, worketh patience. And then I was, as I was reading through the book of James, and I taught the book of James at our ABF, and it took me about 15 weeks to get through the book of James. So, but when you get to chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, James says, Be patient, for the Lord 
is coming soon. He says that twice. Be patient, for the Lord is coming soon. So James is saying, as I go through these trials, as I go through these difficulties in my life, I'm to be patient. Why am I to be patient? Because the Lord is coming soon, and we need to be patient for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of us believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Okay, Jesus could come at any time. I pray that he comes before this week is out. And I pray that each one of you is ready for Christ to come. I pray that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about the opportunity to share this because I believe James is teaching us how do we live between these two points. How do we live between this time right now and when Christ is going to come again? And as we look at the, the, the scenario, and we're going to just overview this morning. We're just going to spend some time. I love putting together the context. You know, here's who James is writing to. This is why he's writing. Here are some of the themes, because it gives us a foundation as we move forward and gives us the opportunity to think through some of these things in, in a more um, rounded perspective. But as we look at Scripture, we see Jesus talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, familiar passage of Scripture. It says, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas pipes up and he says, we don't know where you're going, and so how in the world do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only life. Do we believe that? Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but he is saying, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. I don't want you to have to worry about this. I want you to look forward to that day that I come to take you home to be with you, but you're to be about the work. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, or grieve like those who have no hope. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him and be forever with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don't sit around and not do anything. Don't sit around waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We need to be about the work. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great passage on the resurrection Paul starts off with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He works his way through the resurrection of the body. And he talks about this time when we are going to be changed. Oh, death, where is their sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And he goes on and he goes through that passage and he talks about the resurrection of this body. And how does he end chapter 15? He says, therefore, my beloved brethren... Every time I use this verse, my dad's life verse, he passed away about three years ago. So give me, give me a second here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For your labor is not in vain. And so what Paul is saying is the resurrection is extremely important. And we are looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ comes to take us home to be with him. But we need to be about the work. We need to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. At Walnut Ridge, we just changed our mission statement. We just updated our mission statement because we wanted it to reflect our heart and our passion. And so we changed our mission statement to this. Walnut Ridge seeks to be a flourishing family that is glorifying God by abiding in the love of Christ, nourishing one another with the word, and bearing good fruit in the world. You see, it's very easy to gain a whole lot of knowledge. It's very easy to go to seminars. It's very easy to go to ABF or Sunday school or whatever you might call it. It may be very easy to go to Bible studies. But we are to be about sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are outside. Miles and I were just talking last night. And, and the passion of his heart, and I know the passion of our heart as a church, is to see people coming to know Jesus Christ. I've told our church, we don't want transfer membership. We don't want people coming from other churches to our church just because we're the next best thing on the block. We want people coming to our church who are coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior who are getting saved, who are getting baptized, who are being discipled, and then going out and sharing the message of the gospel and hearing people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior or choosing or putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that's what my heart is for this week, that God would challenge us in a way that maybe we haven't been challenged in a while. And we might see our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ to proclaim the message of the gospel to those who so desperately need to hear. It doesn't take us very long to figure out that the world is a mess. Reading, I just scan the news every day just to find out what's going on. And, and the news I get is limited to Waterloo because we have enough going on in Waterloo. Seems like every other day there's a shooting or there's a murder or there's, or there's something going on. And we know that we live in a time that is desperate to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to be about the message. I appreciate the songs that Cody led us in this morning. Those reminders of just what we are to be doing and what we need to be about. So like I said, it's my privilege to be here this week. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled at the fact that I have this privilege and opportunity to come and just share the word with you. So let's open the word this morning. We're going to cover one verse. Okay. <laughs> I'm already behind. But we're going to cover... One verse this morning. We're just going to look at the first verse of James chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your great love toward us. Father, I pray that as we spend this hour together or this time, however long that is, and as we open the word and as we spend this week together in this rich book, 
And Father, we're not going to dig deep, but we're going we're to cover these points that James wanted to communicate to a group of people who were struggling, who were, who were just wondering what the next steps were going to be. I pray that you might speak to our hearts and that you might challenge our hearts. And that we might leave this place and we might transform our churches. And we might transform our communities because we have a clear vision of what we, are, what we are to be about as believers in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this week that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that they might put their faith and trust in you. And maybe there's somebody here this week who has, who has gone to church all their life and has never come to know you as their personal Savior. I pray that this week might be that moment that they could say, I was at family camp. I was at Clear Lake. I was at Iowa regular Baptist camp, and that's where God spoke to me, and he transformed my life. Father, give us a great week in your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1, if you could turn there. James writes this, James is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. Who is James? There's four James in the Bible. Two of them we just kind of eliminate. James the Lesser, the son of Alphaeus. Really don't know anything about him, so he probably wasn't a candidate to write this book. The other one is James the father of Judas, not Iscariot. How would you, love, how would you like to be known by that? <laughs> I'm Judas, not Iscariot. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> just, want, just want to clear that up for you. So he isn't one that wrote it. The other two possibilities is James the Apostle. But what we know about James the Apostle is he was martyred about 44 A.D., the book of James was written anywhere between 44 and 48 A.D., so most likely it wasn't James the Apostle. And that only leaves James the half-brother of Jesus. And so here is James the half-brother of Jesus, and if we have read through the Gospels and we understand the Gospels, that James didn't necessarily see Jesus for who he was. While they grew up together... James didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. We read on occasions through the Gospels where his family, his mom, and his brothers come to take him out of a place where he's preaching and where he's teaching. It says, Jesus, uh, you know what? You're getting, a little, you're getting a little crazy here. We don't understand what you're talking about. Let's move out of here before somebody takes you out. You know, Jesus, you know, we don't understand all of this. We see in Acts chapter 1, though, okay, you can read through the Gospels, you can, you can figure that out, where James fit and how he viewed Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we see that the 120 are in the upper room. The apostles are there. And we see that Mary's there, and Jesus' brothers are there. There's been some kind of transformation, whether that's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ or whatever it is, there came this point when James realized who Jesus was. He realized 
that my half-brother is something far greater than anything that I ever conceived in my life. And so the next thing we see is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 6 and 7, talking about the resurrection as Jesus goes and he appears to the apostles. And he appears to all of these people and to James. He made it a point to go to probably his older brother and say, James, I'm here. James, do you understand now? James, you're going to have a great ministry as James becomes one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And James does great things for God. And so that's who we're talking about here is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He is that person. Now, James isn't like the Apostle Paul. If you read through the Apostle Paul's letters, what you see is Paul introduces himself. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for all of you. I remember you in my prayers, and and Paul usually gives this four or five, six verses of, you know, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You're You know, it's great talking to you. Can't wait to come and visit you. James says, hi, I'm James. I'm a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. Hello. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials. James doesn't mess around. James says, I'm going to get right to the point. And so James gives us, in these 108 verses, 54 imperatives. They're not suggestions. They're not suggestions. When I was in Bible college, I went to Appalachian Bible College in West Virginia, and uh, the New River was there, and so I had the privilege of being a raft guide for the four years that I was there. And as we were going down the river, I wouldn't give suggestions to the people in the raft. We're coming to a class five rapid, and I wouldn't say, hey, folks, If you want to paddle over there, that's fine. If you want to paddle over there, that's fine. If you want to go right up the middle, that's fine. I never gave suggestions. They were always commands. We don't want to go over there because we're going to get trashed if we go over there. We're going to be in real trouble if we end up over here. So now you listen to what I'm saying to you and paddle where I tell you to go and we'll be just fine. And that's what James is doing here in the book of James. He's saying, I'm going to give you some things that you need to know and you need to hear and you need to believe and you need to act on so that you might be able to navigate your life until Jesus Christ comes to take you home. And if he doesn't come to take you home, you're going to live your life so well that God is going to be glorified through you. And so James gets right to the point. James really isn't concerned about what you think. And really he doesn't care what you think today. Or how you're going to be challenged this week. He's saying we we don't debate these topics. We're not going to debate these things at all. What I'm telling you is what God is telling me to tell you so that you might Live as Christ would have you to live. He really doesn't care 
He cares more. Let me, let me put it this way. He cares more about our function than our theory. He cares more about our walk than our talk. He cares more about our productivity than our profession. He cares more about our demonstration than our declaration. He cares more about our duty than our doctrine. All those things are important. Our declaration is important. Our doctrine is important. All of those things are important. But if we don't do anything with them, they're useless. Paul, uh, James talks about that, doesn't he? And we'll get to that. Faith without works is dead. You could talk all day about your faith. You could talk all day about your doctrine. You could talk all day about all that you know. But really, if it has no change and no effect on your life, it's useless. So we're going to be challenged that way this week as we go along. So he's not interested at all if you agree with him. He's more interested in the fact that God changes your life. That God changes these 12 that were spread abroad. The next thing that we see as far as the person of James, we see his priority. His priority. And so as we think of James' priority, as we continue to read through this, how does James address himself? It'd be very easy for James to say, hey, I'm James. You may recognize me because I look a little bit like my brother Jesus. And Jesus, as you know, is the Messiah, so I am his brother, which means I have something to tell you that is extremely important. That's not how James addresses himself, is it? He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He places himself, he understands the submission, he understands who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, correct? All of us in here are sinners. The wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a great truth. James realized that. That Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. Jesus Christ was the one who paid the price for our sin. He was our substitution. He is the one who stands in the gap for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. What does it say there? My little children, if any of us sin, we have an advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. James understood that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. And he says that, I am a servant, or I am a slave. I am willingly placing myself under the authority and submission of God and of Jesus Christ. And I am going to serve him with my whole heart. And so James starts off, he, he doesn't blow up the fact that I'm, a, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I grew up with him. I knew him. Now, I met, a long time ago, DC Talk. 
Anybody remember DC Talk? I was at DC 91, and I met these guys, and I could say, we're friends. I, I know those guys. I helped them write a song, I think. Probably from that conversation that we had, there must be a song that they wrote about that conversation. Or any, or any number of people, we could say, you know, I met that person. I've got their autograph in my Bible. But really what James is saying is, even though I am the half-brother of Jesus, we spent a number of years together. He is my Savior. And He is my Lord. He's not my friend. I am placing myself under His authority, and what He tells me to do, I'm going to do. And what He tells me to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm willing to give up my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the call this week. How do I live my life in light of what I know about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he means to me? Am I willing to put aside things in my life that hinder my relationship with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ my priority? Or is he my priority on Sunday morning when I go to church? Is he my priority when I come to family camp and, you know, i got to carry my Bible with me and I've got... Jesus needs to be my priority every day, every moment. I need to continually place myself under the authority of Jesus Christ because he is the one who works in my life and transforms my life. And James understood that. So moving on, we, we come to the people that James is writing to. These are the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Persecution starts in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And it says that Paul started to breathe out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And as that started to happen, people were scattered abroad. And, and as we read in Acts chapter, let me see here. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, excuse me. Okay, so they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. In another passage in Acts, they're scattered to Phoenicia and, and other parts of the world. So, so now the church is being scattered. Uh, go proclaim the message of the gospel throughout the whole world. And so the church is scattered. So these are the 12 Jewish Christians, primarily, that James is writing to as we look at what he is speaking and what the, the topics that he's speaking toward and some of the references that he uses, we know that he's talking to a Jewish population. And so these are the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. They've been scattered from Jerusalem. And what happens is, as we see today, refugees fleeing their countries, our son-in-law, Nelson, is Nigerian. And during the Nigerian Civil War, his parents needed to flee from Nigeria 
And some of the family ended, in, uh, ended up in Canada, some in America, some in Germany. They're scattered all over the place because of the persecution that was going on. They lived in southern Nigeria, which was the Christian portion of Nigeria. The Muslims were coming down and attacking there. So what happens when people are scattered? Well, they leave quickly. They don't have the necessities that they have. They're poor. They're hungry. They don't have shelter necessarily. And, Paul, and James, as we start off the chapter, he says, count it all joy when you fall into these kind of trials. As we read through James, they're being taken to court. There's a number of things that are happening to these 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And so James is writing to that particular group of people, but he's also writing to us. Just listen to these topics and, and, and just check them off in your mind if you've had any of these problems in any of these situations. Trials, temptation, rich or poor, racism and prejudice, selfishness, jealousy, the tongue, secularism, conflict, pride, materialism, sickness, prayerlessness, apostasy. And there's a few of those that I could check off. There are a few of those that really start to weigh you down if you're going through a difficult trial and you don't have your eyes in the proper place. If you don't have your eyes focused on who Jesus Christ is, is that he is still on the throne. Isaiah chapter 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And as I looked, I saw two seraphim, each having six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. And the sound of their voice shook the temple, and smoke filled the temple as they cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And Isaiah's response is, I fell down like a dead man because I was in the presence of the Lord. I live among a people of unclean lips, and I am a man of unclean lips. And I have seen the Lord Almighty. I pray that this week that we might keep our eyes on the Lord Almighty, that we might see him seated on the throne, that we might see him in a clearer vision, in a clearer understanding than we ever have before. And as we see Christ seated on the throne, and as we bow down before him, and as we get on our face before him, we cry, I am a servant of yours. Use me wherever you need to use me. So that I might have an impact on the world because of Jesus Christ. Chris and I have been trying to get together with our neighbors Every Christmas we have a get-together for our neighbors and, and just to have them in our home and just to start conversation with them. And uh, we've had a couple that have been there a couple different times and you have a two or three hour, it's supposed to be an open house and they're there for two hours, which is great because you get to know them. And, and just these opportunities to start to build relationships so that we can move to spiritual conversation and try to speak truth into their lives.
We try to take opportunities when, when we're out. And, you know, and sometimes you're tired and, and you just don't want to talk to anybody. You go out to dinner and you just want, just let me eat. You know, I, I just want to get through this. I'm, I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I just want to eat. But do we take opportunity to talk to that person that's serving you? Have you ever watched people treat waiters and waitresses? They don't even look at them. They don't even talk to them. But how, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can I impact that person's life? Are we looking for opportunities? Are we trying to share the message of Jesus Christ? That didn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but it's a freebie there. What's the purpose of what's the purpose of James writing? And we'll and we'll close with this. I think there's a number of things that James has for us today. This book is rich. This book is solid. I mean, there is so much here, and, and we could take so much from it. But it comes down to this. James is talking to us about our spiritual growth in our Christian life. It's all about spiritual maturity. How am I growing in Jesus Christ? Now, we all understand sanctification, don't we? Well, maybe not. Sanctification is basically our growth in Christ. This development, this opportunity for us to develop into the image of Jesus Christ. We remember Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says what? All things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I used to work in a factory before I went to Bible college. We made nuts and bolts. And those nuts and bolts were uh, made on nut formers and bolt makers. Go figure those names. But uh, I worked in the nut department, which was probably fitting. But anyhow, as you watch these nut formers work, they would cut off a blank. The blank would now move to the next die, and it would start to impress the image of what that nut was supposed to look like. And there were five dies that this process would take, and when it would come out of the end of the machine, it would look like the nut. It was formed into the nut that it was supposed to be. The exact dimensions... All of the criteria were there that needed to be there. Same is true when Paul talks in Romans chapter 28. We are all to be conformed, pressed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what that word means, to be conformed, to be pressed into the mold of Jesus Christ. The book of James takes us there. And this idea of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and spiritual development When we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, positionally, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, aren't we? If we put a diagonal line, vertical line, yep, vertical line. If you want to jot this down on your paper. Positionally, we know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. We are joint heirs with Christ. On the other end, another vertical line, which is our potential. One day we are going to be perfect and whole and complete because we are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we are living within these two points. 
And that's our progress. And we should be making progress toward looking more and more like Jesus Christ in our Christian life. Now, there's going to be the plateaus and there's going to be those little dips that come along the way, but, but we should be moving toward the image of Jesus Christ so that when people look at us, they see the reflection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 isn't about a great evangelistic outreach program. Acts chapter 2 is about individuals who are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and there was such a difference in them that people were being drawn to Jesus Christ. Man, we've got young people in here. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You've got your whole life ahead of you to live for Christ. We've got some of our older folks that are on the far end of that spectrum. They're coming close to being home with their Savior. But we still work. We still proclaim. We still declare the message of Jesus Christ. And so again, my prayer is for this week that God would use us, that God would transform us, that God would speak to our hearts, that we would see our need of just following after Christ, yielding ourselves to him, placing ourselves under his authority, asking him, what do you want from me so that I might serve you with my whole heart? Looking forward to God's blessing this week. I've been challenged in studying, and I hope that you'll be challenged this week also. Father, we thank you for this time. Bless our hearts. Challenge our hearts. We love you and we thank you for your grace, your son that you sent to die for us. Father, I pray that we might yield ourselves to you and place ourselves under your authority. It's in your son's great name we pray. Amen.